Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, CTC focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get an exclusive 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout. How to understand the troubles in the Red Sea. Welcome to this special edition of Steno Signals here at Real Vision amidst the Education Month. Today, we're going to address the troubles in the Red Sea and the ramifications for global inflation. And uh, I'm joined by uh, the partner here uh, at my company, Steno Research, Mikkel Rosenwald. Welcome to you as well. Thanks for that. Uh, you're the head of geopolitics. I'm Andreas Steno. For those of you who haven't seen me before on platform, uh, it's been a few weeks since I uh, was on air the last time. Um, if we look at the situation in the Red Sea, I think the first question to address is who are the Houthis? The Houthis are attacking uh, ships, basically right, left, and center in the Red Sea. So, <clears throat> Mikkel, please fill us in on this Houthi movement. Who are they? Yeah, so the Houthis are basically a clan-based militia. So so to understand where they come from, it's kind of like one of the houses in Game of Thrones, you could say. It's, mm. it's a family-based structure that evolved into a militia. They played a big part in the ongoing Yemeni civil war and now control large parts of the country. So they are a sort of a pseudo-government of, of, of large parts of Yemen. Uh, on top of that, the Houthis are closely linked to Iran. They've been financed and backed by, uh, by Iran over the years. And uh, they have a lot of international networks to Hamas, Hezbollah, etc. So uh, next question, I believe, is why are they throwing missiles at ships and throwing drones at ships? Well, for, for three reasons. First of all, uh, Iran told them so. Um, Iran has a heavy interest in stirring up trouble within the region, had a big hand in the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel. So that, that is the main reason mm. that Iran is basically giving them the weapons and telling them where to shoot it. The second reason why the Houthis are in on this is because they kind of have to. If you look at their motto, it is uh, glory to God, death to America, death to Israel, curses upon the Jews and triumph for Islam. And when you have a motto like that, you, you can't really stay dormant while... Hamas and Hezbollah are attacking Israel. So they kind of felt perhaps that they needed to do something uh, to not look weak and, uh, and inactive in this. And the third reason is that this is very popular within Yemen. Uh, as I mentioned, they're part of the Yemeni civil war. So everything they can do to shore up domestic and internal support within Yemen is, is very good for them. And this is hugely popular. One of the only things that the Yemeni population can all agree upon is that they they dislike Israel. Mm. So when the Houthis are taking part in the fight against Israel in the way that they can do, it's very, very popular inside Yemen. So this is really a win-win-win for the Houthis, basically. Yeah. And uh, if we look at the current situation in the Red Sea and uh, the Suez Canal, um, it's a pretty dire situation, to be honest. Uh, we have some data on the amount of crossings of container ships in the uh, Suez Canal. And as you can see, we have seen a large drop in uh, the amount of crossings basically since just before New Year's. So this has been ongoing for uh, three to four weeks already. 
uh, and essentially there are no signs of improvement right now. Um, just a couple of days ago, uh, a couple of Maersk ships, Danish company, by the way, where we situated, uh, were attacked. They were um, basically traveling with cargo for the U.S. Navy. So they were man-mined by the U.S. Navy when uh, these attacks took place uh, and they had to turn around. So it is essentially more or less impossible to travel through uh, the strait uh, outside of, of Yemen right now. And uh, it's very visible from the uh, daily data points uh, on the amount of, of uh, container ships crossing uh, the Suez Canal. This is an issue for um, the shipment of global goods, basically, since the Suez Canal is, uh, well, the easy uh, route between um, Asia and Europe in particular, but it carries repercussions for freight rates uh, and uh, shipping routes across the globe. If we look at a satellite photo uh, of it right now, uh, I think it's very telling uh, to, to use that as an sort of explanation for what's ongoing. Um, this satellite photo shows container ships with a destination in Europe. Uh, as, as you can see, there is basically a um, large uh, rerouting happening south of Africa instead of using the Suez Canal. Uh, and if we sort of zoom in on the region uh, with the Suez Canal, we basically see more or less zero ships. Uh, we see a couple of ships traveling through the region right now, but they're sailing under Russian flag. Uh, that's important to bear in mind. The Houthis are not striking against the Russians. But Mikkel, when we look at the Arabian Peninsula, right, mm -hmm. uh, on the map here, maybe we can bring it up again. Um, what we're currently talking about is the Red Sea and the small strait uh, between Yemen and Djibouti. Exactly. Um, over the weekend, we had stories emerging around potential strikes from the Houthis on the other side of the peninsula in the Strait of Hormuz uh, outside of Iran. That is uh, basically a strait used uh, for a lot of energy transportation. Um, so what do you make of that story? Is it feasible that they start striking against uh, tankers as well? It would Against tankers, yes. Mm. The Strait of Hormuz would surprise me if they carry out large-scale attacks there. Um, a lot of things have uh, have surprised me in this, but but that will would really surprise me. First and foremost, because this is very very close to the Iranian coast, mm -hmm. could very easily strike into Iran or hit Iranian ships. Uh, and second of all, because most of the exports there are either Iranian, which they won't be, be be trying to hit, or from from the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, and 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 to involve them directly in these attacks would 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 be a huge escalation, and 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 risk direct involvement from the neighboring states. So it would surprise me. On the other hand, that is the the worst case scenario to to really see this spill over into uh, into the international shipping lanes of energy. Yeah, um, it is not only the Suez Canal um, that we're talking about currently in terms of the global shipping malaise. We're also talking about issues in the Panama Canal. Those are unrelated to the geopolitics surrounding this situation in the Red Sea. But if we look at uh, the current data from the Panama Canal. Uh, we're also talking about much fewer crossings uh, compared to normal levels. And why is that? Well, it is basically driven by a lack of rain. Uh, so um, essentially, it's not possible uh, to, to transfer as many ships as usually through the Panama Canal due to a lack of, uh, of rain. Uh, so we essentially need some rain in the region um, to get the Panama Canal back at, uh, at full capacity. So we're currently stuck with a situation where both of the most important canals on earth uh, in terms of, of making uh, shipping lanes swift and efficient, they're both, both more or less eff effectively closed relative to historical standards. And therefore, we're currently seeing this uh, shipping malaise spreading from container ships, uh, which were sort of 
originally the sort of center of attention towards the dry bulk space and even to energy tankers. Uh, so slowly but surely, this story is uh, sort of building from being a, a very isolated event to container ships in the Red Sea to now being uh, a global uh, shipping lane relevant story. Uh, freight rates are up on right about every possible destination on Earth with um, within every possible subsector of the shipping industry now. So it is of major relevance to solve this as soon as possible for the Biden administration, Mikkel. Um, we obviously have a lot of contacts within the shipping industry since it is so uh, heavily based out of Denmark. Um, but Mikkel, what's the outlook for a solution uh, to this situation with the Houthis? Uh, is it feasible to hope for a solution within a, a few weeks from here? Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Possibly. Um, to, to give a little glimpse into our, our thinking on this, we've been working a lot, talking to a lot of soldiers. We, we have sort of a matrix that are used for this. So, so, so basically the U.S. tried initially to, to reassure shipping companies that this, that's the second front top solution here, to reassure the shipping companies uh, by deploying massive naval forces into the Red Sea to basically tell them we're here, we're in control of this. Uh, that initially seemed to work up until Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, where the Houthis upped their attacks, sending more drones, and then all the shipping companies went south of Africa instead. Mm. So that basically failed uh, tremendously, uh, uh, the initial effort to reassure shipping companies. Um, the next step in that effort was to begin bombing the Houthis within Yemen. That didn't really work either. Then the, the U.S. have tried to... to um, to place direct convoy support on certain ships, as we mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, that's A, not really scalable. B, perhaps doesn't even work, as we've seen yeah. <laughs> in the past couple of days. And definitely, in, or evidently, it doesn't reassure the shipping companies. So we're left with the two bottom options um, for so solving this crisis. Uh, one is uh, to outright invade in North Yemen, where the Houthis are situated, put boots on the ground. That's an absolute worst-case scenario for the U.S., would, would carry huge financial and political costs. So I view that as sort of a no-go scenario. That leaves only one solution, uh, in my opinion, and that's the, a truce between Hamas and Israel. Because even though, as I mentioned, uh, the Houthis have a lot of reasons for attacking ships in, in the Red Sea, it, it all stems back to the Hamas-Israel conflict. If that's solved, then the Houthis have no cases Billy to, to, to keep attacking ships. Uh, and a, a couple of weeks ago, this seemed like a, a, yes, that's a good solution, but is that really realistic? Is that really the, the easiest way to solve this? Well, now it may actually be. Uh, in my opinion, we're looking at uh, um, one to two months, perhaps, before a peace deal is, uh, uh, is realistic. Uh, it's being worked on a lot. The pressure on Israel is immense. So there are chances that it could go, go quicker, but it's... Uh, it's not going to be a quick fix. And even if it's fixed, we might still be looking at some trouble. Yeah. Once this Red Sea issue is over, we're not uh, necessarily out of the woods. Uh, and I have to remind you 
of uh, some anecdotal evidence that we have from 2021 on that subject. Um, back in early 2021, uh, the ship Ever Given basically blocked the entire Suez Canal. Some of you may remember basically the pictures of a ship blocking the entire canal. Um, and um, once the canal was reopened, it led to traffic jams across uh, ports, um, both in the US and in Europe. Uh, we see the am amount of, of ships anchored outside of LA here uh, post that uh, ever given event in the Suez Canal. And I think something similar is very likely this time around, should the Suez suddenly reopen, we have a lot of uh, uh, jams to, to be expected, both in Rotterdam, LA, uh, Genoa and other brick port cities as a consequence of a lot of ships currently either being redirected or, or in a waiting position. Um, we also saw similar traffic jams uh, in, uh, in the North Sea. Uh, if you show the next chart, it's basically kind of a similar picture just from uh, North Sea ports on aggregate. Uh, so this is something that will last for, say, three, four months from here, even in the very hopeful scenario of uh, some kind of solution being found within the next week or two. And therefore, yeah, Michael. Yeah, just one point. We are looking at some seasonality here as well, because we know that this is mainly affecting the Shanghai Rotterdam or Shanghai Europe routes. Mm. Um, and that route carries a lot of the Christmas presents that you and I are going to be giving and receiving this year. And they're not going to be shipped out in December. Uh, they're going to be shipped out before the summer uh, to, to, to retailers to stock, to, 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 to warehouses uh, across Europe. So if this reaches into Q2, um, it even worsens the, the problem and, and yeah, yeah. the bottlenecks. So one thing is that we have an issue within the shipping industry. Uh, the shipping companies are, by the way, pretty happy with this. Uh, they can increase margins. Uh, just have a look at their uh, average uh, stock returns over the past couple of months here. Uh, but when freight rates are on the rise, it also matters for inflation. So if we take a look at freight rates across the globe first here, um, this is a heat map of some of the most important uh, shipping routes across the globe. Uh, for example, Shanghai to LA and Shanghai to Rotterdam. And the freight rate between Shanghai and Rotterdam is up yeah, almost 400% if you look a couple of quarters back, but 350% just since mid-December or thereabout. Um, that's obviously directly linked to what's ongoing in the Red Sea, the lack of uh, passings through the Suez Canal. But you should also note that the price of uh, freight from Shanghai to LA is on the rise swiftly as well. Why does that make sense since it's not directly impacted? Well, um, we've uh, basically asked uh, our sources within the industry why that is. Basically, they um, they redirect capacity towards the uh, Shanghai to Rotterdam uh, route as a consequence of higher prices, first of all, but also as a consequence of delays given that they have to uh, redirect ships south of Africa. So they simply need more ships to, um, to take care of the situation. Uh, that's one thing. So therefore, there's an indirect spillover to um, to the uh, Shanghai LA route. Uh, secondly, um, currently, it's kind of the global price uh, sort of price setting mechanism. Uh, this route between Shanghai and Rotterdam, as a consequence of larger margins on this uh, route. So essentially, why would you choose another route uh, unless you get paid as well um, uh, traveling another route? Uh, so that's essentially why we see these spillovers, global freight rates now, and everything um, is, is now impacted. We should essentially expect uh, freight rates between China and the US to sort of play catch up um, with uh, the increase that we've seen in, um, in Europe. 
does this matter for inflation? Uh, if you move uh, a couple of charts ahead, there's a chart on, um, uh, on on the freight rate relative to the PCE price of core goods uh, in the uh, U.S. consumer basket. Um, it's called the trouble in Suez is not helping U.S. importers. And there's actually a pretty neat correlation between freight rates and subsequent inflation in goods. I think it makes a ton of sense uh, that an increase in transportation costs will ultimately, to a certain extent, uh, end up being passed through to uh, the ultimate consumer of the good. Um, so why is there a lack on this chart? It seems like freight rates actually lead uh, the development here. Well, first of all, it takes a while for a ship to, to go from Shanghai to LA. Um, there's a very clear time lag just because of the travel time. Uh, secondly, you typically price your goods based on the goods you have uh, in inventory, uh, meaning that current prices are based on lower freight rates from a couple of months ago. And thirdly, you probably monitor this situation uh, with a bit of urgency um, initially. Is it feasible to, to hike prices immediately because of freight rates? Probably not. You look at it and assess whether it's a temporary uh, situation or not. If freight rates drop back within a couple of weeks, then it's probably not feasible to hike prices. Uh, but now that everything points towards, say, another couple of months, maybe three, four months of, of shipping troubles, I think it's fair to assume that we will see a pass through to consumer prices. The IMF did a study on this uh, in 22. And they reached the conclusion that for every doubling of global container shipping uh, freight rates, you should expect an impact of 0.7% on uh, consumer inflation. With an increase of more than 200% in global benchmarks now, we should probably expect this to impact inflation globally with a magnitude of say one and a half percent at least, maybe even a couple of percent. And I guess this arrives at the worst possible timing for central banks now, slowly but surely trying to guide markets towards rate cuts. Um, and well, we need some disinflation in other cost categories than goods to sort of make up for this account of this um, inflation seen due to freight rates and due to this conflict with the Houthis. So, Mikkel, your best guess from here. Now, I'm, I'm talking about a time lag of, say, three to four months before this is uh, ultimately seen in Walmart and, mm -hmm. and other retailers in the U.S. Um, your best guess, is it feasible to find a solution within a month or two from here? Or, yes. or what would be the best guess here? Absolutely, because that will be, and as I mentioned, the, the ultimate solution, uh, peace against uh, peace between Hamas and Israel, I believe that will come within one to two months. Uh, there's a chance it could come even quicker, but but, but that, that, that's my guess best between one to two months. And that should uh, uh, alleviate this, this situation. Uh, if the Houthis keep up their attacking, even with the Hamas-Israel truce, then it's a whole different situation, but I, I, I don't really believe that's, that's realistic. Yeah. So that, that is my base case prediction from you. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Michael, this Red Sea situation is obviously a supply shock, uh, given that uh, shipping lanes are um, troublesome uh, and so on and so forth. But what about the demand side? The demand side will obviously also have its say on whether this turns into an inflation spike or not. And I think there's a, a, a divergence between Europe and the U.S. Uh, worth mentioning here. Um, the U.S. economy is running on Coke, pardon my French here, uh, but it relates to the cost of living adjustments, the so-called COLA adjustments, made every 1st of Jan in uh, uh, the U.S. So if we look at uh, the first chart on the U.S. economy in relation to these COLA adjustments, um, it's worth mentioning that just as a consequence of these mechanic uh, adjustments to tax brackets, first of all, uh, the average household in the U.S. will see an increase in their spending power 1st of January. Tax brackets are nominally increased by an average of 5.4% by 1st of January, meaning that you simply have um, less taxes to pay given the same salary compared to in December. Uh, the same holds for those um, on the receiving end of uh, social benefits. If we look at uh, transfer receipts in, in Social Security, uh, where we've also seen a roughly 5.5% increase to those. Uh, and as you can see from the chart here, we're talking um, a, uh, a three-digit billion uh, number a month here. So it is, once again, something that adds to an already large deficit uh, of the U.S. federal government. Uh, and something that sort of holds an embedded inflation uh, mechanic in it, uh, given that these adjustments are based on historical inflation, but they also ensure that consumers will keep spending, um, even in an inflationary environment. And if we look at live gauges of retail spending in the U.S. Uh, from the get-go of the year, we have a, um, a gauge from Redbook uh, with us today. It seems like we're off to a flying start. Um, in sharp contrast to most uh, economists' expectations uh, just a few uh, quarters back. Um, and this introduction of large revisions to the tax brackets, to the uh, social benefits received uh, by, um, by regular Americans, um, it seems like a new kind of a seasonality is introduced to the U.S. economy because every 1st of Jan, you get a mass, massive boost to the spending power uh, and it slowly but surely fades throughout the year, uh, meaning that the sort of Q4 will be weaker than Q1 on average. Uh, and by the way, the Q4 report uh, on the gross domestic product was pretty decent out of the U.S. today. And it's kind of in sharp contrast to the, to the Eurozone because we have very few countries with the same sort of mechanical increase uh, and and the same mechanical cost of living adjustments, first of Jan. France is an example of a country that does more or less the same as the US, uh, but other countries in Europe do not do it. Um, so you don't get that automatic spending increase in Europe. And as you can see, the divergence between retail sales in the US in light blue and what we see both in the UK and in France in, in red and dark blue here is quite striking and the divergence is increasing. Um, that leads me to the conclusion that it's much more likely that we will get a consumer goods 
inflation spike in the U.S. due to this because of the demand side also uh, being on the increase while the supply shock is happening in the Red Sea. Um, so I guess that's the major takeaway from a financial market perspective. Europe is, from a demand perspective, still stuck in the abyss, while the U.S. is reaccelerating right now, uh, meaning that the risk of a uh, re-emergence of inflation in the U.S. by late spring, thereabout, given the lead lags that we showed you earlier, is much larger than it is in Europe. I think it bodes well for U.S. equities. Equities tend to thrive through the first sort of phase of inflation because it means that uh, companies basically increase their um, their pricing power relative to consumers. Uh, but it doesn't bode too well for U.S. treasuries. Uh, it bodes um, decently well for European fixed income, I'd say, given that we don't have the same di demand dynamics, while European equities are much uh, less likely to outperform U.S. peers. By U.S. equities and European uh, fixed income, that's probably the cocktail that makes the most sense here uh, if you're into um, investing in both kind of instruments. Uh, I'll leave you with one final chart, uh, and I'll allow you to comment on it also as well, uh, Mikkel. Um, the deficit of the uh, federal government, government in the U.S., is out of control in many ways. Um, these cost of living adjustments add to it. Uh, this is a very, very simple study. Uh, the light blue is based on the unemployment rate and um, also the current growth gauge, basically. Uh, so the current growth rate of the US economy. Given those two, you would expect the budget to balance. Uh, we're currently seven, seven and a half uh, percentage points away from that. Uh, that is extraordinary, um, and as long as you have that gap, it's very unlikely that you'll see a recession. So uh, in an election year, Michael, Biden holds no incentives to close this gap. Not at all, not at all, no. Um, I think the, the the Biden administration will keep this, this spending up. Uh, there are political reasons to do so, obviously. Uh, the big question is, when we get to the other side of, a, uh, of an election, uh, can the coming administration, be it a Biden or Trump administration, uh, can they keep this up? I, I think they will have to, to some extent, uh, slam the brakes. Um, how they do it could be through uh, uh, through spending cuts, could, could be through revenue reforms, but 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 this is untenable in the long term. It's it's, it's like nothing we've seen before. And, and just on a final note, uh, a lot of people are, are are speculating in how does the market usually react to these primary elections, yeah. to the general elections. I think all those historical evidence is out the window because this is like nothing we've seen before in the yeah. economic scale. So. This is new territory. It's going to be new territory for a new administration to enter into a uh, a artificial deficit. You could probably call it yeah. uh, this large. Yeah, uh, and it will be very interesting to see how uh, the new administration, um, if we assume that Trump wins the election by by the end of the year, probably the base case for bookmakers right now, uh, whether he will slam the brakes or not. Um, I'm not. I'm not certain myself, but um, let's see. Yeah, and it's going to be tricky. There yeah. are a lot of political st uh, stopgaps to do that. Yeah. Uh, I guess this was all for um, this session on the Red Sea, the ramifications for inflation around the globe. Um, I sadly think that you should expect a new wave of goods inflation in the U.S., also to a larger extent than what we'll see elsewhere around the globe. But it's pretty good news if you're an equity investor. Um, and uh, for now. 
uh, we lean heavily into U.S. stocks, in particular in the tech space, paired with uh, some exposures in the shipping industry because they they like this scenario, um, even though uh, it creates inflation uh, for the end consumer. Ultimately, my name is Andreas Steno. I was joined by Mikkel Rosenwald uh, from uh, from our geopolitical research department here at Steno Research. It was a pleasure to be back here at Real Vision, and I hope to see you soon again. Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache, but it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Finally, 2024 is a year when crypto investors can do their taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get a 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout.